0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Uh, my name's Julian Taylor, and I'm joined as usual by my follically challenged friend, Langdon DeMint. Langdon, do you want to say hello? Hey, everyone. How are you, Jules? I am good. Yep. Now, Today, we're joined by a couple of very special guests, and by way of introduction, what I'm going to tell you is a bit of a story, and the story is that I went to a safety show before COVID, before the world went mad, I went to a safety show, and if I tell you that there were lots of speakers coming on and off stage that week, and I can't remember who any of them are, apart from our guests of today, because they were just memorable, um... I hope you don't mind me saying this, but they were a more elderly couple, not the usual sort of demographic for speaking at safety shows. But they came up on stage and uh, they told their story and their story is absolutely memorable. So we are delighted that they can join us today to go through that story again because we think it's a really powerful one. It's also it's also a really important message that we think we need to keep alive. We need to keep that message out there. So delighted to be joined today by Mavis and Ray Nye. So do you want to say hello, guys?
2: Hi. Hi. <laughs> it's nice to be here.
1: Great. It's, it's, it's really good to have you both here. Um, now, I think to start with, Mavis, can you I, – I suppose my first question is – You've got this handsome young gentleman sitting next to you. When did when did you first meet him?
3: <laughs> right, so we Ray's first looking meet...
1: around to find out <laughs> who I'm talking about here.
3: Uh, I first met Ray in 1957. Seven. Um, I was just a young, very young, 15 year old, and um... he was in the youth
2: club.
3: Yeah, so sorry, I couldn't think of it. It's our local youth club. I'd actually ditched a boyfriend that night, so I felt a bit naughty. <laughs> but I said hi to this guy playing a piano, and that's how our story all started.
2: Well, I didn't know about the boy, you just did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ray's just found out something he's not known for the last seventy odd years. Okay. Yeah. Um so so you met you you met one another, um, and i presume things kind of moved on from there cuz you're still together you're still sitting there together today um and and when did you get married mavis in
3: 1960 uh 1960 um at, at luton
1: in chatham 1960 yep
3: it was just because that was where the um the youth club was at the uh, um in luton <laughs> chatham yeah yeah <laughs> So that's how we met.
1: Okay. So you met in Chatham, and Chatham, for for our sort of American listeners, is in Kent in the south of England. Um, And um, when you got married, what was Ray doing work-wise, Mavis?
3: Right, he was in Chatham uh, Dockyard, and he was a shipwright apprenticed. Um, No, when
2: we got married, I was a shipwright.
3: It was a shipwright. <laughs> sorry, kids <he's> correct, didn't
1: he? <laughs> so Ray, Ray was a shipwright. Ray, just to help us out. Yeah. Just to help us out, Ray, what does a shipwright do? Shipwright basically repairs uh, and
2: refurbishes uh, Royal Naval ships. So if they want cabins moved, extended... Sorry, yeah. No, no, carry on, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, if they want cabins moved or added... Or extended, or whatever, any modifications on board ship, um, basic repairs. Sometimes they come in for a total refit where they would cut everything from stem to stern, and shipwright's job would be to lay out the floors, deckheads, bulkheads, and rebuild the ship.
1: Cool. So, so, Chatham, again, for those who don't know, is.
2: A Royal Naval Dockyard.
3: Yeah, and my father worked there.
1: How how many men were working in that? that... When I uh, when I first went
2: in, it was thirteen, just over thirteen thousand.
1: So, thir- wow, thirteen thousand men working in there. Yeah, yeah, that's all trades, all trades. So so basically what so what you're telling us, Ray, you're working on the ships they come in, they strip the ships out and then you would start to do your job and I suppose that's starting to tell take us to what we were gonna talk about today, which is what were some of the materials that they were stripping out of the ships
2: basically um it would be metal bulkheads um and asbestos really, yep. So basically, that's all the ships are made of: iron and bits of wood and asbestos. Well, obvious things like linoleum and things like that. But yeah, predominantly, everything is covered in asbestos. So,
1: see, so I, 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 I think a memorable part of your story when I was listening to you talking was you used to, you told the story about how you used to sit and eat your eat your lunch out of your lunch tin, in the middle of the workplace as well. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and what what were the conditions like working in there? What what was the what was it like? What was the quality of the air like, for example?
2: Um, well, just a few days into a, a refit, we'd have had gangs of uh, guys with their pneumatic hammers chipping off the asbestos from pipes and trunking or wherever it is, so that um, the fitters could take the pipes down and replace them Um, shipwrights would replace new trunking uh, and then the um, laggers would come along and cover them all with asbestos again, the new ones (coughs) but basically the air quality was terrible
1: so so full of dust, full of fibres yeah okay, and Mavis you're, you, meanwhile, you are at home. How how did this affect you? Sort of what what Ray was doing?
3: Not at that age. I, uh, this was when I was fifteen when I met Ray, and so um, he went away. He went away for two years in the uh, national na- national Jeez. service, and um, when he came back, when we came back, we got married, and so we got married in uh, in nineteen sixty. And had our first child in 1961. Um, so then I was filling up, really enjoying myself, <laughs> going out with my mates, and he was there, in with the army.
1: <laughs> yeah. But when you got married, you 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 would you you would you would sort of have Ray coming home from work, and you would you would clean his work clothes. Is that right? That's
3: when we got married, yeah, when I, I then took over the washing from his mother <laughs> and uh, I had a washing machine uh, where she had the old dolly, what do you call it, the dolly? Uh, yeah, and the washboard. Washboard. <laughs> so, um, and so, I, yeah, I did all the washing as he came home. I just shook all the clothes and the dust would fall off, um, sort of come, I would shake it out of his hair. We just did not know that that was a danger to us.
1: Okay, so you were, you were shaking out, you were shaking, shaking Ray to get it out of his hair, and shaking his clothes to get it off his clothes before you washed them. Yeah,
0: Ray, For you, was there any? I guess when you were going through that, was there any maybe cognizance or even a, a second thought about everything that you know from the dust? I, I assumingly, no. If you're eating around, I mean, it's just a part of work, right?
2: Yeah, basically, um it was just part of everyday work in life. Nobody ever even hinted to us that going on board ship would be hazardous because of that asbestos. And if you wanted to take a walk around the shipyard, you would find skips topped up, spilling over, with asbestos that's been taken off various ships, uh, and the wind would blow the dust off of that. Uh, it, so really it, it was everywhere and we never had any warning. I mean, that's the reason I left the yard, um, eventually was because having spent two years in the army, um, where everything's washed at double speed and and. Everything's got to be immaculate, ready for inspection. I got used to an area that was clean and unhazardous. And going back, um, I spent just over a year um, contemplating the filth, the dust, the noise. uh, And I decided to leave. I didn't decide to leave because I found out that asbestos was dangerous because that didn't come really. Until years later, it was just the basic filthy, noisy environment and if I'd have known about the asbestos I would never I would never have gone in there in the first place
1: so so you you managed you you've managed to get out and I think you had a bit of an argument didn't you with the boss who 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 was telling you you were going to be back with your tail between your legs very quickly
2: yeah, yeah, I remember his comments clearly. I would, after I'd written out my notice and passed it through my charge hand, and it got to the young um, department manager who called me up, and he said, "It's not too late to change your mind, son. That's all I got to do is tear this notice up, all right? You can get back to work." And I said, uh, "No, thanks." But uh, and I often say that was over sixty years ago, and I hope he's not still waiting because he said. You'll be back. <laughs> they all do.
1: <laughs> he's he's waiting by the gate for you. Yeah, yeah. So if if we fast forward, then I suppose you you left the shipyard, and and really, the effects of that didn't really come home to roost, did they? Until a long time later, Mavis. Do you want to tell tell us when you first sort of realized there was a problem?
3: 49 years. 49 years
1: ago,
2: yeah.
3: 49 years later. 49 years later, sorry, yeah. We went to Spain Spain on holiday um, because we'd retired and we bought a motor home. And um, I I didn't know. I was enjoying the sun, staying with my son in his villa. We were having a lot of fun. And when I got home, I found um, one day I couldn't breathe. And uh, it was just like that. It turned on and I just couldn't breathe at all. And so um, I, the doctor said to me, you better have an x-ray so, um, or a scan. So I went in for the scan and...
2: Uh, well, scan. they said it was a trapped ulmer nerve yeah. and um, it could be a chest infection And in the meantime, we were going across the road one morning to vote on voting day. And Mavis collapsed in the street. And she was gasping at me, take me home, I can't breathe, take me home. And I managed to get her home. Fortunately, we were just round the corner. And uh, I phoned up our GP. And he said, I'm looking at the uh, results of your recent scan. There's a bed waiting for you in Medway. Get yourself there now. But, uh, Medway was our med, local Medway Hospital. But, uh, so I managed to get her there, and uh, they kept her in for over a week while they did all sorts of tests, growing cultures in dishes, checking it. And then on, visit, on one of the visiting days, because I used to go every day, uh Maeve, said, the doctor's been in to see me and he's got my results and they're not good. And I told him, I don't want to hear them yet. They're to wait till you come in this afternoon. So I went and found him and I said, well, I'm back now, doctor. Do you want to come and give us these results? And uh, he came up to Mave's bedside and he said, there are two uh, things that we would initially thought Possibly your condition was a serious um, lung infection or maybe mesothelioma. Well, actually, we've ruled out the lung infection. You have mesothelioma. I am sorry. But we looked at him blank. Meso... Meso... What? We... Not only did we not know how to pronounce it, we'd never heard of it. And he said... Yeah. it's misothelioma and that's an asbestos related terminal cancer if there's anything else you wish to know I'll be available and he turned tail and left and we were left to finish off that visiting Now, wondering what the hell miso was and asbestos was ringing in my head asbestos he said and when I looked back that was my time in the dockyard, and that was forty nine, nearly fifty years previous, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
2: But, uh, so yeah, that was Mavis's um, introduction to mesothelioma.
1: And what year was? Two thousand and nine. Two thousand and nine. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
0: Was there any inclination between that time period of any adverse health effect? There was none. Prior to the trip to Spain?
3: No, there was nothing,
2: nothing. Um, we, where we were in Spain, we were at right at the top of Benidorm, and it was a four-mile walk downhill into Benidorm. And we we were doing that every day for nearly three months, weren't we? Yeah. But on the walk back, initially... Mavis was stomping away, she would get up the hill, no thoughts, nothing. But as that three months progressed, she was having to rest at different places on that four-mile walk back. And those rests were becoming more frequent and the distance was becoming even less. So there was a problem beginning, but we weren't really aware of it, were we? And it wasn't until that day when she collapsed locally here in the street uh, that things had moved on. But prior to that, no, there was no indication. So it wasn't until
3: I had my pleurodesis um, that we finally knew that it really was mesothelioma. Um, I had that in Guy's Hospital.
1: Yeah.
3: And uh, that's where they, they diagnosed mesothelioma. So that was in 2009, 2009. still 2010, we've gone into 2010 by then. Yeah, so um, that's when they put me on um, a lot of trials. Lucky enough, there were trials. But at the time, there was only um, chemotherapy, there was nothing else. So uh, I happened to come along just as immunotherapy was about to start. And I was very you know, pleased with that, grateful.
2: But it wasn't really much chemo for you anyway, was no. it? No. Because the doctor said, it's a terminal cancer, there is no...
1: Because I think it was in 2014, wasn't it? You-
3: yeah, that's when um, I, the it was growing again from the chemotherapy. And, um, it was, and Dean Fennell said to me, Mavis, if you get down to the Royal Marsden now... Um, you can go on, there's a trial starting. I'd like to see you on that trial. And that's when immunotherapy came into the Royal Marston. And there was three people, just three other people.
2: Two uh, other people.
3: So yeah. well, I'm the third one. <laughs> there was two three, two other people, including myself. <laughs> and... Um, so you talk,
2: um, Three people uh, on were, the trial.
3: Right, and the other two sadly have died and um um i did come, i came through it completely it was just a brilliant tr- um, trial and it was just a brilliant result but i have this funny enough this year been able to talk to Merck and thank them for it which that was wonderful wasn't it to be able to say thanks
1: and it is it's incredible some of the work that's going on isn't it and it's
3: oh yeah now it's really yeah that's what they said at the time that um uh, is this encouraged the doctors because uh, mesothelioma had nothing for it at all. They couldn't couldn't find the answers, but I gave them that first proof that there was a way to treat it and there was a way to deal with it. And since then, immunotherapy has done so well.
2: It's not a cure, but it's, no, it's not a cure.
1: How did I end up seeing you at Safety Show, Mavis? Tell me a bit about your sort of journey in terms of understanding about mesothelioma and then becoming this you call yourself the miso warrior don't you
3: yeah the miso warrior yeah um i i suddenly I, because they gave me my life back i wanted to give my i give all the details i could possibly and help all the new people that were being diagnosed and um that's what that's how i started really i got onto the campaign of safety really it's about safety, it's about looking after your lungs and protecting your lungs, and we've got so many wonderful companies doing that. you know they are helping out, aren't they really they, they I find that everyone's not doing any doing it for themselves. they're all doing it for people to help people and I think they you know we've come across some wonderful people
1: so you've become a real advocate in terms of sort of the health health side of health and safety and I suppose getting it out there that this is still a problem—it's still an issue with asbestos. It, it, it's sort of in in the workplace, isn't it? And that's
3: why I was—I um, uh, got the uh, well, I got the Queen's Award, wasn't it, the BEM um, this last year? Now last year, and uh, I got I got that because you know, gradually everyone was hearing me, my talk, and they were enjoying <laughs> it, so. And realizing I was out to help. So I started all the uh, social media and helped out there. And it's just gone on and on and on. It's just been, it. I always say it, it sounds stupid really, but if it wasn't for this disease, I wouldn't have had such a brilliant life. It's, it's, it's so stupid really, but it's been wonderful. It's so wonderful to meet all these people.
1: And and you've you've certainly got around, and I know my LinkedIn feed, Mavis. Sort of <laughs> most weeks, something comes up on my LinkedIn feed from Mavis Nye, and, and it might be sort of just sort of talking about about the issues, or what I see a lot of the time is you promote when you when you've got pictures of people dumping asbestos and and dealing with asbestos in the wrong way. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. My pet hate. Oh, yeah, if I, I wish I could be there one day and see someone. Yeah, I'd be out with a baseball, I think, back smacking our asses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's interesting because myself and Langdon, we did a webinar just yesterday, didn't we? And um, on there we had a bunch of health, sort of the HSE stats around uh, health and, and ill health and injuries, um, sort of in, the, in recent years. I think, it's, was it right, Langdon, there's still 12,000 people a year dying from from lung disease in the uk so so again that's a kind of reflection of of sort of some of the things that you're talking about yeah Yeah. right i know what the. i mean a couple of other interesting and sad facts are was it was it your father mavis who died from the same disease yeah my
3: brothers also died of lung cancer so you know and so much of it gets misdi- misdiagnosed as just a, a lung cancer. So you yeah. know, even my do- oh,
2: and yeah. Yeah, yeah. my mum, she yeah, she died she your, yeah. peritoneal. So, so
3: yeah, you know, it's because yeah. where we lived, Chatham, uh, it was a hotspot.
1: So so Chatham, there's an intrin- intrinsic link, isn't there, between the dockyard and it being a cancer hotspot? Yeah,
3: yeah, and shipping.
1: And chipping, um, and I was going to say as well, Ray. You, you, you've talked about your reunion. Where, how many? I think you talked about the apprentices that you started with, and they had a reunion, and and I think you, you were the only one left, or they were trying to have a reunion.
2: Well, I um, it was a couple of years back, and I I wanted to find out how many of my there was forty two of us boys, uh, in that. Uh, in my entry and I wanted to know so I could get in contact with any of them to find out whether they'd all or managed to escape this dreaded thing or not and the only way I could get any information was via the uh, somebody who runs the museum in there and keeps the records and uh, I said out of the 42 of us guys in uh, May 53 uh how many have you got on your your list, and he said, I'm afraid at the moment you're the only one that seems to be left, uh, which totally surprised me. I mean, I haven't got me so like Mavis, but I've got um, scarring and what is it they call it? And pockets. pockets, yeah, pockets yeah, air pockets. Air pockets and scarring in, in my lung, which Dutch would have not gone full. Mesothelioma, but, and I don't in honestly know how many of those 42 guys have actually died of mesothelioma or any other diseases, but it just seems absolutely stunning to me that why am I the only one left? And they won't give me information um, on the other entries before and after me just for some sort of comparison. But when I go onto Facebook, um, which I've been doing for a quite a while, not one of my guys ever publish anything or comment on anything. So I don't know.
1: It's 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 frightening, isn't it? It's frightening numbers, and it's frightening what was sort of going on, and people took it for granted that that was the way that we worked, without really being aware of what it was doing. And and I think there's. The scary thing, Langdon, you, you maybe want to comment on this as well, is that there's probably other substances. I know we've had silica issues um, and and I know, I know there's things like the use of MDF, which is used massively in the construction of things like kitchens. And again, there's 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 I think I don't know whether it's been confirmed, but there's the fact that that could be carcinogenic, the dust that's coming out of out of MDF. And you just wonder, what's the next thing? Um, what does that tell us as safety professionals? What do we need to be thinking about?
2: I am going to say, I, when we spoke last time, I don't know, did we mention nanotubes? Does that ring a bell to you?
1: You did mention nanotubes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah.
2: Oh, right, because we were at one of those Mavis's conference things and we were talking to somebody there who would given a talk, that these high-rise buildings uh, um, with all glass fronts, he said, that we're not aware that as the wind blows, those glass panels flex, and they drop out these nanotubes, which drop down to path level, and people walking by in the street below are breathing in these nanotubes. And the result of that is just as lethal as asbestos. Uh, To me, I find that very difficult to digest. But apparently nanotubes is the next thing.
1: So that's frightening, isn't it? So the cladding on the front of buildings and it's just natural weather conditions is causing the issue. So, um, and I think, again, it, it sort of starts to say something, Langdon, doesn't it, about actually... I remember a friend who had a, a kitchen manufacturing business and you would go in there and the air was full of dust. Nobody wore any kind of respiratory protection. There was no kind of extraction systems. Um it it just says as businesses, you've got to be cognizant of of sort of air quality because we don't know what the future holds, do we?
0: And that's the you know, that's the scary thing. And I know Mavis Ray, we talked about that few weeks ago, there are just so many chemicals that are, whether they're a direct runoff from a manufacturing procedure or, you know, to you, your experience with cleanup, whatever it is, there's so many chemicals, whether it's combustible dust, whatever, and they're having the lasting effect. And the more that, you know, organizations, if they're not monitoring, if they're not providing some type of PPE or... any type of minimization of those you have things like this where we kind of forget about a lot of times the the health side you know Mavis I mean you're you said 40 plus years and Ray I don't know what what time span between your exposure to when you even started having some difficulty but you're talking 30 40 years when the trouble began and think of how many others are could be going through something similar whether it's from asbestos or silicosis or you know whatever it is, whatever type of uh, carcinogenic uh, adverse effect, you're still talking about things that you might be fine for five years, you might be fine for ten years, twenty years, but then when it hits, it, it's very uh, troublesome. I think that's a that's a scary thing to to consider.
1: I think it's been one of the issues for a long time with with the whole health and safety conversation, hasn't it? Which is safety if something goes wrong with safety it's immediate and we see it we see it straight away the problem with health is we don't see it do we 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 don't see it it's not that immediate sort of visibility that makes people think i need to do something to protect myself here um so i think that's that's been one of the ongoing issues so maybe she looked like you wanted to chip in then
3: oh i was gonna say you know it messes your whole life up i mean all right, we've been lucky. We've got through retirement, um, but it, it's terrible. We had everything planned, and we, it was being planned and it was being put in place. Um, we wanted to buy a motorhome, retire, sell our house, uh, put uh, buy a motorhome. We was going to buy it, spend winters in the um,
1: in
2: the
3: sun. In, in the sun, yeah, winters in the sun. And um, summer's in the winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, summer, yeah, summer yeah, go cooler. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, you know, everything was planned. It all, everything was worked
2: out on paper work, and it didn't, it, it felt a bit, so. What she hasn't actually said to you today is she's got up out of bed today, especially to do this, because she's been in bed. Nearly seven weeks,
3: yeah,
2: that, uh, and after sixty six years together, yep. it's been terrifying because I have never ever, ever seen her anywhere near this this condition uh it's really got a grip now't it yeah it is um, it's
3: I've got coming out in all lumps and bumps everywhere, and yeah. it, it's really going for it, but somehow I don't know I somehow I seem to get on top of it a bit each time, and I'm still fighting it.
1: And I've got to say, we we are we're absolutely humbled, Mavis, because because the reason you're on today is you sort of reached out on LinkedIn saying, even though you were sort of in home hospice care, you were still really one of your your life and life sort of sort of reasons was to keep getting this message out there about mesothelioma about health in the workplace and and still keep getting your message across so um we, we're just really humbled that you've you've made this effort to to talk to us today because we, we know it is an effort
3: I've always said you could never shut me up <laughs> 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 uh, you yeah. did
1: quietly tell me that on the side neighbours.
3: I bet you did I bet you did <laughs> yeah
1: so I think I mean just reflecting on your sort of retirement plans there they I, I suppose you never expected to, when when you were sort of spending that time in Spain all those years ago, to end up then travelling around the world, because I think you have travelled around the world, going to health and safety shows and talking about lung disease.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, we just
2: missed BTOG, haven't we?
3: Yes, yeah, I couldn't go to we- BTOG. And apart from anything else, whether you was fit enough or not, the the insurance. expense to travel once you've got anything wrong, and if you're being treated, that's even worse because then they bump, they bump it right up.
2: Yeah, we're not talking hundreds of insurance. No. It was thousands. yeah uh, It was just not economically viable, even if she'd have managed to get out of bed.
1: Yeah, you struggle to, struggle to get insurance, and then it makes travel a really difficult thing, doesn't it? yeah
2: Everything becomes expensive, yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I am really sort of conscious Mavis that you you, you're sort of not well and you've made an effort to do this so I don't want to keep on going for too long but
3: I'm happy to do it
1: yeah but I just really wanted to thank you for coming on today um I think your message is massively important that a asbestos is still an issue and health in the workplace is a massive issue um and 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 it and it helps to really sort of make people stop and think about can we do things differently? Can we do things better? Um Langdon, I don't know whether you want to sort of add to that.
0: Yeah, no, I think Mavis Ray, you're more than are grateful um for your joining us and discussion because for me and it's what we talked about last time, it's we don't realize a lot of times the the adverse health effects that come to us if we're in the workplace, but then also the potential for the ones, you know, loved ones around us and family, how that can adversely affect them too. It's, you know, powerful to hear that. And albeit this wasn't the way you foresaw, um, your retirement going, you know, it's something I will say a testament to also to the power that you've, you've had, because I know that your story and the situation that you've experienced has, Honestly, it's it's probably applicable to a lot more than you think. And it, whether it is asbestos or any other um, carcinogenic chemical, it, your your story really has a opportunity to touch and help prevent a lot of others. So more than more than grateful, and we definitely appreciate it.
1: I think if there's any kind of positive silver lining, Mavis, you can you can sort of rest assured that you've had a massive impact on. Hundreds, if not thousands of people, with the way that you tell your story and 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 go out and get it out there so so we need to say thank you to Ray and we need to say thank you to the miso warrior because um y- y- your story's been sort of really interesting to hear and it's it, it, and it's a really powerful story as well Mavis, so thank you
3: I would like to say don't I'll give the plug now <laughs> um that I sort of have started my. App there. Starting my own foundation, so please find the Mavis Knife Foundation and please donate. We need money to. I want to leave a big legacy. I know that everyone keeps saying, "Oh, you're, you've left legacy already," but no, I really want to money. You've got to throw money at these things, and you've got to help people.
1: So, so what we'll do, Mavis, if you want to, we'll get those details off you, and we'll publish those out as well through our LinkedIn feed. And obviously through the through the um through the podcast as well. And hopefully we can we can we can sort of add to those funds for you. That's that's the very least that we can do. Okay.
3: Thank you very much, Yep. Thank you.
1: Okay. Mavis and Ray, it's been a pleasure. Um thank you for giving us your time today and uh, the best of luck for the future.
3: Okay, thank, thank you. Him. Yeah. Thank and keep him. your lungs safe.
0: Yeah.
1: We certainly will try to do that, Mavis. Thank you. Hey
0: everyone, really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast or visit us at evotix.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube.
1: If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, If you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great.
0: And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days, about your normal lives, stay safe out there and watch each other's back.